There are two words that have characterized the mood of our society as I was thinking through the message today. And the first one is rage. Rage. And I, so I looked at the dictionary, it says, to speak or behave furiously. The second word I think that characterizes our society is the word vengeance. And so I said, it says, an act or motive of punishing another in payment for a real or perceived injury or a real or perceived wrong he or she has committed. And so I picked up the newspaper, just kind of did a little test for myself, and I went through the newspaper and I began to track how many things I perceived to be done by rage or vengeance. And so I tracked it for a week. And I have to tell you, I, I gave up after Thursday. It was just so depressing, so sad to see how much shooting and accidents and, or whatever else was done by rage. Uh, I, I was shocked just to read about the little babies that were stabbed in New York, that one of them was only 13 days old, and a lady went through the, the nursery and began stabbing children. And I, just, I was just sickened in my spirit when I read those kind of things. When you and I grew up, if you had an argument, your parents said, well, go talk it out with the person. But now, if you have an argument, the first thing that seems to happen is people go get a gun. And it's sad. But that anger and rage and vengeance is not new. I mean, you can trace that clear back to Cain and Abel in the story in Genesis. But today, as we look at 1 Samuel 24... I want us to see the biblical approach in solving conflicts that we have with another person. So we're going to look at the consideration, the conviction, and the conversation that needs to take place so that peace will be sustained in the body of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn there to 1 Samuel 24. You know that we've been tracking the life of David and so in the consideration then, you see the reason that there was such conflict was that the fact that Saul was continually, continually attacking David. He, he has 3,000 men to attack David's 600. He, he, David was hunted like an animal. It was overt action of hatred and rage and vengeance on the part of Saul. But just as dangerous, well, I think more dangerous is not the overt actions, but the covert actions of the man Doeg. He was an Edomite. He was the sheep herder of Saul, and he was an evil man who ingratiated himself to Saul. And you just see him kind of lurking in the background, that covert, waiting for the opportunity to poison the mind of Saul against David. And so, in fact, David writes about him in Psalm 52. He says this, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. And I, as I look, I thought, what a contrast. But as I began to look at that word loving kindness, 
It is the word merciful, kind, gracious, good. Uh, there's a, a vast amount of meanings for this word that we can't properly translate in the English language. But it is everything God is, Doeg was not. Doeg was the absolute opposite qualities. He says, your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. That's how David describes Doeg in Psalm 52. So you know the story. Saul enters the cave to relieve himself, and it's a perfect opportunity for David to take revenge and act out a vengeance for all that Saul has done to him. And the rationale of David's men is, David, now's your chance. God is giving him to you. We know that you deserve to get even. You know that this is the right thing to do. And David's men are continually harping on David to take action. Well, it's no different than today. Conflicts arise, and what do people say? You violated my space. You violated my rights. I deserve better than this. Don't they know who I am? Don't they value me? And people begin to adopt a victim mentality and say to themselves, I'm innocent. I don't deserve to be mistreated. I haven't done anything wrong. All about me. All about what's happening to me. And just like David's men, we begin to listen to the wrong voices. When temptation came in the situation of 1 Samuel 24, David listened to the wrong voice and yielded. But what happens to us when temptation comes? Well, we will quote 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you're able, but will with the temptation will provide a way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Now, the interesting thing is this. When temptation comes, there's the awareness of the temptation. That's when God makes a way to escape. But what do we do? We wait until we're in the activity of yielding to the temptation, and then we quote 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Well, Lord, you said you'd make a way of escape. He did. He made a way of escape over here at the awareness. But we didn't pay attention. You see, when temptation comes, that's why it's called wiles, subtleties, tricks, schemes of the evil one. He's not going to have a sign that says, temptation, yield here, flashing with neon. But when it's the awareness of the temptation, that's when God makes a way of escape. But how often we yield. And then we pray, oh, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. He was helping you over here at the awareness stage. But did we listen? David did not. Do we? And that split-second decision comes. What will I do when the temptation comes? 
So David yielded, and he experienced the conviction of God. The NASB says David's conscience bothered him. That's a great statement. What do we do when we yield to temptation and the Holy Spirit convicts us? Do we just shut it off? Do we say, yeah, well, no big deal. Yeah. When that conviction comes from God, then in David's day, there's three ways that you can handle that. You can have regret. That's your mind. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. You can even have remorse. That's what Judas had. That's your mind and emotions. But I had a lady talk to me just this week. Her husband was having an affair. But he comes back to her and she said, well, he's acting very, very nice to me while he's still messing around with the other woman. She said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, number one, he hasn't repented of his sin. Because repentance is the mind, the emotion, and the will. Repentance is turning away from the sin that you're walking this way. The Holy Spirit has convicted you of that sin, and you turn and you take the opposite action of what you were doing. That is repentance. That's what David had. Why? Because he realized that that offense was against Almighty God. He says in verses 7 and 8, How can I do this deed against the Lord's anointed? Well, he could certainly justify his actions. Saul had tried to kill him multiple times. Saul is hunting him like an animal. David's running for his life and hiding. And yet David says, how can I do this offense against the Lord's anointed? That's repentance. That is repentance. A change of attitude about what he was doing. And so that not only a change in the attitude, he proves it in his actions. You see, we can have repentance and change in our attitude, but will others see our actions to show that we have truly repented? David showed it. When it says in the verse there, he, he persuaded his men. The word there is torn apart. The men's hearts were changed from seeking to kill Saul and taking advantage of the situation to an opposite direction because of what David did. You see, conviction produces changes towards God and also towards men. When the heart is right, David repents and shows Saul two very, very important attitudes. And these attitudes are in crucial, crucial in a situation of conflict. The first is humility, verse 8. My Lord, the King, and he bows to the one who's seeking 
to kill him. Wow. That's humility. That is humility. No self-defense. No justification for his action. No, no uh, simply saying, well, you know, look what he's done to me. Look how unfair he's been to me. But David also has a second attitude that is crucial, and that is honesty. Honesty. Not fake sincerity. He asks Saul an honest question. Why are you trying to kill me? First you treat me like a son, and then you want to ram me through with a spear. What, what's going on? There's no justification on David's part. He didn't say to Saul, hey, 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 knock it off. I don't deserve this. I, I, I'm better than this. Don't you remember Samuel anointed me king? What are you doing? No. Hmm. They're honesty and humility. Let me ask you a question. When conviction comes to us from God, how do we respond? When the Holy Spirit convicts us at the time of the temptation and we make that split-second choice and we do what is wrong, how do we respond? Well, we can rationalize it and say, well, it wasn't that big of a sin. Well, I'm, I'm not as strong as a, Christ, a Christian as so-and-so. Well, let me ask you a question. If the cause of Christianity had to be upon you alone, upon me alone, how strong would it be? For you see, every time we yield to sin, we weaken the body of Christ. But when true repentance takes place, there's a change. We will glibly quote, quote 1 John 1, 9. You know, uh, we know that he's faithful and just if we'll confess and he'll forgive our sins. Well, that's true. But do we really acknowledge the sinfulness of our sin? Do we willingly understand that our sinfulness was a willing act on our part to partake and to yield to the temptation? When we repent, there is true acknowledgement. Because why? If when we confess, the word confess is two words, hama legeo, homo same, legeo, to say. We say the same thing about the sin as God does. We're not, we're not sugarcoating it. We're not saying, well, that's a boo-boo. Well, that's just personality mistake. That Well, that's just who I am. Well, that's the way God's made me. No, you are agreeing with God. We are agreeing with God as to the sinfulness of the act in which we participated. When we come to that point, yes, he is faithful in his compassion. 
He doesn't say, well, how many times are you going to come? No, it never does. He is faithful in his compassion, and he is just in his character. That if and when we admit our sinfulness to him, he will and does forgive. The word forgive is the word where releasing of a bird out of the hand. When we agree with God as to our sinfulness and we realize that it is a front to him and we say that it is and we confess that, he is faithful and just to remove the guilt and free us like a bird back to flight. Our fellowship is restored and the peace and the joy and the enjoyment of fellowship with Almighty God, is back. But the question comes when that conviction comes from the Lord, how do we respond towards men? I love what Warren Will, I don't love it, I kind of hate what he says, but it, it's a great statement. Warren Wiersbe says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's not thinking of yourself at all. Oof. That's a tough statement. Not thinking of yourself at all. Am I willing to do the right thing regardless of what others may think? Can I honestly say I'm not willing to save face? I, I'm going to do what's right. I have to have humility towards that person or towards that involvement. What about honesty? Speaking the truth in love. I'm willing to address the situation of the conflict that I have with another person. I'm not going to put it in the background. I, I, I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think of me. I must do what is right in the sight of God. I want that situation to be cleared up. So what do we do? How do we do that? When do we do that? What's the purpose in doing that? Just like the example of David, we need to follow that example of his, just like the example of our Lord. When there was conflict, he always addressed it. False accusations, he always addressed them. Did they listen? No. Many times the religious leaders went the absolute opposite way, of course. But the conversation is in verses 11 to 22. Now we combine the past and the present together. And there's a little chart I want to show you that was written from a book by David Augsburger. It's called Caring Enough to Confront. It's a wonderful chart. For it has high concern for the relationship and it has high concern for the goals. But let's start on the left-hand side. You see that affirmation there, and you also see the assertiveness. 
Your way is I have high relationship and high concern for the, the relationship, but I, I really don't care about the goal. So, you know what? Go on, your way. You know, I yield to win acceptance. I, I'm not going to fight this situation. Uh, I'm just going to let it go. But is there anger simmering in your heart? But then you go down and you have little concern for the goals. You have little concern for the relationship. I leave, I lose. And that anger begins to be expressed or begins like a cancer in your soul. I don't care about the person and I don't give a rip about what they are thinking. And I don't want to have peace with that person. I just don't care. Or you can have high assertiveness, little concern for the relationship. I win, you lose. It's my way. My way or the highway. But I've won. Oh, really? Hmm. What have you won? Or you have high concern for the relationship and you have high concern for the goal. I can care and confront so that is our way. Because you care about that brother in Christ, you have high assertiveness, you want to see it, that situation solved, you see, want to see that peace of God restored in the family of God, so I can care, but I also will confront. And the question is, how will you confront? Again, with honesty and humility. For the principles are the relationship. We are a family together. Our goal is the peace and the purity in the body of Christ. We want to get along with each other. We want the name of Christ honored in what we do. We want our words, our attitudes, our actions to uphold the name of Christ. And that's every person in every situation. So you have high concern for the relationship and you have high concern for the goal. The interesting thing that is important is this. When you honestly examine our lives, when we look at ourselves, can we honestly say, I don't have any malicious anger towards anybody. I don't have an attitude of revenge. I don't have any rage in my heart. Now that might be true. But is there a smoldering, harboring sense of resentment? Just kind of smoldering in there, like a small fire, or like a cancer that's just starting to eat on your soul. I found this quote. I, many people have quoted it. I don't know who the source is, but it said this. Unforgiveness is like drinking rat poisoning and watching the rat die. 
That's a pretty interesting statement. For whom you fail to forgive controls part of your soul. So, forgiveness for the believer is not optional. So can you have that conversation with somebody in honesty and humility? Do we realize the peace and the purity of the body of Christ are our testimony to the world? Can they say, oh, how they love one another? Or is it like, oh, man, you got to see those guys. What is it said? To dwell with saints above, oh, what wondrous glory. To dwell with saints below, oh, that's another story, right? Or do non-believers see the peace and the unity in the body of Christ? We do not live in a perfect place. And we do not live with perfect people. But we can live in perfect peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, I, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very, very much for the truths of your word, for example of men like David, who teach us the power of repentance, who gives us an example of doing what is right, even though he was maligned. What an example, too, of our Savior, the greatest example of all, maligned yet forgiving. Lord, I pray that we will never let the cancer of bitterness and unforgiveness eat on our soul. So I pray, Lord, there would be peace and purity in the body of Christ of believers at Church of the Apostles in every situation with every believer at all times so that the effectiveness of our body would be seen by others and they would say, oh, how they love one another. For it's in your good and great name we pray, Lord Jesus.